I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Gary Trust here in Billboard's New York offices with an absolute icon, a legend on the podcast this week, Trevor Anderson. <laughs> uh, not sure about the icon status yet. Maybe just famous. I, I, I wasn't finished yet, but not, not that you're not, Trevor, but you talked to someone who is music royalty, Lionel Richie. Yeah, Lionel and I had a, a really nice chat um, last week about... Uh, Endless Love, uh, which I'm sure most people know, is his hit duet with Diana Ross. Uh, nine weeks at number one on the Hot 100 in 1981 and was nominated for an Oscar. Still one of the biggest Hot 100 hits of all time. And you were talking to him now because it's the 35th anniversary, August 15th, of the song going to number one. Correct. And it's the all-time number one duet in Hot 100 history. Yeah, bigger than you know anything Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson put out, Stevie Wonder, Paul McCartney, um, Diana Lionel, number one. Yeah, I think a couple of the really interesting details that you'll hear about is how quickly the song had to be recorded. It was a real whirlwind, and I guess it, it you know, it started to cause a little tension because with with the Commodores, because this really led to his solo career. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, from what he says, it's not something that they really even planned. It was just you know he's, he'd been writing and producing and, and breaking out, and you know, unfortunately, um, or I guess fortunately, when you get a huge hit like that, that starts to get people thinking about you know. Ooh, is, is Lionel Richie his own thing now? And um, yeah, he says with the Commodores, you know, um, when you kind of become that, take over that front role, not unlike, I guess, Diana Ross and the Supremes, you know, people start to look at you as, right. you know, you can be your own entity. You're, you're, you're the star. And this is, in some ways, you know, going solo is a way to keep an act fresh. Um, but um, he definitely, you know, sounded a little... I'm sure he's happy for himself that the solo career worked out, but definitely not at the expense of the tension between himself and the Commodores. All right. He's a legend. So are you, <laughs> Trevor. Uh, well, you know, two legends chatting. That's that's what you get today. <laughs> All right. Give a listen. Here is Trevor Anderson from Billboard chatting with Lionel Richie on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. 
Uh oh. Uh, which one should we go with first? The good, the good, the good news is, yes, I did do "In This Love" with Diana Ross. Bad news, I can't remember a damn thing. <laughs> oh, oh no! I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I was gonna. I, was, I know it's been a little while, but you know, oh, hey. Please, man. Oh my God! No, it's so. It's it's really funny when they said they gonna do a retrospective. I thought that was fantastic, but then I thought started thinking. <laughs> Let me think about what exactly did happen. Oh my god! <laughs> well, um, I mean, I did a little research, so hopefully we can uh, we can jog your memory as it goes down if we if we no, need to. No, we we can do it. Not a problem. Fantastic. Um, so so you're in Sweden now, or still? Absolutely. We've got uh, we've got one more show tomorrow night uh, in Oslo, uh, Norway. But we're basing out of. Uh, out of Sweden and um, Stockholm, excuse me, and it was fantastic. I mean, if you ever just want to die and and, and settle in one place, this is a joint right here, man. Oh yeah, I've, I've never free. been that way. Stress free. Uh, okay, to, I mean, I definitely would love to get that way. London's probably the closest I've ever been uh, to that side of the world, but um, okay. Well, just take a trip up. Just go north. That's all you got to remember. Just go north, just, and it'll be probably a. Copenhagen, Denmark, Stockholm. Just, just know it's it's ridiculous. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'll get a, once uh, we'll get a little more money in the bank. We'll head that way. <laughs> but you don't quite need that much right here. That's the good news. Oh, oh well, hey, even better. I'll, I might uh, call my dad tonight and let him know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I suppose let's start at the beginning. Um, I mean, obviously, endless love. You get the uh, so how was the how was the song created? I know obviously there's the film of the same name and. How were you involved into that? And, um, you know, was it intended to be a duet at first? How did that come? Well, no, it, 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 it's funny. It's, uh, if I remember all the names, it was, uh, it was Peter Goober and John Peters uh, came to me. And, and actually, I got a phone call saying that, uh, that it's going to be this um, movie called In This Love. Would I come by and, um, and check out the movie? and then uh, give them my thoughts on what I thought the song should be. Now remember, I'm in the Commodore, so I never had to pitch a, a song, and I didn't really know how to properly pitch, because the, the trick is with the Commodores, you don't finish the song, because the guys will say after three or four notes, we don't like that next song, or that's the, that's the wrong rhythm, next song, so you didn't finish it. So I, I told uh, John Peters and, and Peter Gruber, I said, listen, I'll come see the movie. And I saw the, the, the outtakes of it. And not knowing that Marvin Hamlish and all these other people had submitted their songs too. And so I walk in the door and they said, Lionel, did you, did you see the movie? I said, yes, I did. They said, do you have any ideas about a song? And so I hummed the thought. I said, well, you know, Love story was a simple ba 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 ba. I said that's love story. I said in this love should be something like ba 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 ba. It should be a theme, just like that. And I guess they looked at each other and said, 
is that it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason I wasn't too worried about it was because they said it needs to be a instrumental. It's not going to be a vocal. Mm-hmm. So, so I felt very comfortable humming uh, the little melody. Not knowing that's not the way you're supposed to present a song to a motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, so about a week later, I got a call from uh, Peter Gruber or John Peters, one or the other, and said, could we have that Baba song? <laughs> so, I said, you like my Baba song? I said, yeah. And they said, yeah. So I, I, I went down, and now I put the song down. And about that time, there was a scene in the movie where the girl had to present, she's going to sing part of the song to the, to the guy she loved. And so he, they said to me, do you have... Like, could you just write the first verse of the, of the song just so she can sing the first verse and then we'll have a cutaway. Okay, so I wrote, My Love Is On You and My Life, The Only Thing That's Right. Uh, my, my first love is, I wrote the first line. And the next thing I get is a phone call saying, that worked out really great, Bible. Listen, we decided now we're not going to have an instrumental. We want to have a, a, a vocal and a duet. Now, we've gone from an instrumental to a full-on duet. So we and, we uh, skipped the three hurdles right there. Right, right. Now, this was something I was going to be able to do. Let me just explain in my calendar while all this was going on. I was only recording with the Commodores, their record. What I had going for me was I had, I had um, from 10 to 6 in the morning, Kenny Rogers. From 6 to 12, I had Commodore's album. And I had a little time from from maybe one o'clock to four o'clock in the morning to do Inner Love. Wow! So you see how my time. So you see how my time was, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason I said yes to this is because it was only going to be an instrumental. Now they're saying to me, we have a duet, and we want Diana Ross to be the person to sing the duet. Question: Who do you think, Lionel? Who do you recommend? should be the person that does a duet. And the first thing I said was, are you kidding me? Me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to suggest somebody else, right? Of course. Well, it got from there straight to, okay, now we have a problem. Diana's in New York. I'm in L.A. doing two albums at the same time. Kenny Rogers and the Commodores. There's no way I can fly to New York, and there's no way she can come to L.A. because she's going to do it in New York. The only place that she can possibly meet is going to be, of all places, Tahoe. She's doing Tahoe. And there was a little recording studio in Reno. Now, she's doing Tahoe, and she wants to record this after her show in... (laughs) in Tahoe, which is now one o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. So I, have from, so I now have from one until four to get Diana Ross on Endless Love. Do you understand what pressure that was, my friend? <laughs> I could only begin to imagine. And, and so, and by the way, I'd love to tell you I've done many, many duets before. 
I've never done any duets before, let alone a duet with a superstar like Diana Ross. Right. Right. Okay. So now we agree to show up there. We get to. Uh, we get to. Um, I get in earlier. I fly up. She comes down at one o'clock in the morning, like clockwork. And just to show you how the session started off, I decided I would get a nap before I showed up at the studio. Mm-hmm. Well, I fell asleep in the hotel and woke up late only to hear Lionel, Mr. Ross is at the at the recording studio waiting for you. <laughs> Ooh, not not a good uh, not a good start. <laughs> not a good not a good way to start. Okay, so I get down to the studio and of course it's now. Remember, now, she has done a complete show. She's done a show before the recording session. Normally, you come in rested. And I have exactly an hour and a half, maybe two hours, to get her vocals done. Meanwhile, the trailer goes out to the movie. The trailer to the movie goes out at 12 noon the next day. Oh, ooh, okay. (laughs) And they they want the theme for the trailer. So this is going out for the trailer. Now, not, this is not the record. This is just for the trailer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I decide I don't want to go for my vocals. I'll just do 23 tracks of Diana Ross's vocals on everything I could possibly think of. I now get her on, get on the plane, fly back to L.A., mm-hmm. um, put my vocals on around between 7 and 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, somewhere between, I, I, I'm sure we missed the deadline. It, it wasn't 12. Uh, maybe about 2 o'clock that afternoon, I gave him a mix of Endless Love, and the rest was magical history. Wow. But but there's a little twist here. The, the answer to that was, that was just for the movie trailer. Now... I have to go find how to make this record sound big. And now I'm mixing the record at Motown Studios. And I I decided I'll just go mix the song where all of her other hit records came from. Right. I got to the studio only to realize one very important thing. It was sounding too big. And I remember the engineer was getting all the drum sounds right. And I walk into the room and I said, oh my God, that's it. You got the perfect sound. He said, Lionel, I have all the drums cut off. And I said, that's it. Cut all the drums off. <laughs> Just keep a hi-hat and a foot. And once we eliminated the drums as far as a heavy rhythm section, we went upstairs and there was a little machine on the second floor that had, I call it the, the, the Diana sound in it. And that was the machine they EQ'd all of her vocals on for all those years. And we ran her vocals through that machine and magic happened. It was Diana Ross. Wow. And uh, the rest was history, of course. You have no idea, but... I almost lost every ounce of weight I ever had on my body because trying to wrestle that song down while all of this was going on was just hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I guess it must have been a good practice for We Are the World that night a few a few years later. How about that? Well, you know what? It, it, it gave me a lot of practice in what. Remember now, I wasn't a full. I wasn't a Quincy Jones. I know I produced, but I never produced anything outside of the Commodores. Kenny Rogers was my first outside production. Right. Diana Ross was my second. So, uh, you know, I was just getting new to the idea of producing other people. But I must admit, Kenny was a piece of cake compared to <laughs> Diana because it, I had so many moving parts. Plus, you know, I had to take into consideration I could say things to Kenny because we were friends before we actually got involved. In, whereas with Diana, I hadn't quite dealt with, with, a, uh, with a, a female vocalist, especially. And also, on top of that, I had never really written that intricate before. So this was a brand new, I was experimenting while I was doing it. Oh, uh, okay. And of, and of course it works. I mean, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all, luckily, of course, like I said, all that work sent you straight to number one. But um, no. real quick, you didn't. You, so even though obviously both are Motown, big stars on the label, you, you you didn't know her well at all before that? Well, you know, I mean, I knew her as as a fellow label mate, but not that closely. I mean, she... She knew of Lionel Richie and the Commodores, and we had passed a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we had been to a couple of parties, but never, never to the point where I felt, you know, remember now, I'm the new kid on the block here. Right. And and, and she was clearly Miss Ross. I mean, there was no doubt about it. You know, I hadn't put my credibility label together yet. I was building my brand. And so, believe me, when she walked into that room, I can pretty much tell you there was no air in that room for about two hours while she was singing that song. But at the same time, a little bit of fear goes a long way, you know, in terms of uh, if you're going to deliver, you're delivered under pressure. Oh, I, I but, bet. Yeah. But she was such a pro. Now, let me just make that clear. She was such a pro that, you know, she knew how to deliver Diana Ross. That's all I had to worry about, you know. Yeah, and because a lot of times when you get artists, they're not quite sure how they're going to sound. And that's a different problem. But when she opened her mouth, you knew that was clearly Diana Ross. So all I had to do was kind of weave my magic of my vocals around her vocal. And that's what made it kind of special, you know. But it was, it was touch and go for a minute there because I wasn't quite sure, you know, how her personality was going to be at 2 o'clock in the morning while she's singing. Right. I that's mean, the key. Just finished the show, had to drive all this way. Yeah, exactly. Come on. You know, because, you know, you, you, you you know, when when you have an artist that you've never worked with before, that you've known for so long, but you're not quite sure whether she's in a good mood, is it going to be a great night, how's her voice? And by the way, we don't have any other time to do this. I can't come back next week and say, let's do it again. I have to get the whole song done tonight. Right. Make or, <laughs> make or break the moment. Make or break. You follow me? And I'm only holding up the movie. So, of course, you know, uh, John Peters and Peter Gruber were, and, and uh, um, I'm trying to get the uh, director's name, but Franco Zeffirelli. Right. You know, they were all there in the studio waiting for me to come back delivering the song. So you, you have to understand the pressure of that, of that 24 hours was pretty incredible. But, I mean, what if 24 hours it was? You know, did you ever think that the song was going to be as huge as it's become? Well, I have to tell you something. It 
just on the hint of, of Diana Ross and Lionel Richie and a song, it went so fast up those charts. Again, this is, this is the magic of the time. You know, in other words, if you had a hit record, it went up the charts like a rocket. And, and it took me probably uh, two weeks, because right after I finished that, um, I actually just left the studio because I was so exhausted from that. Mm-hmm. I left the studio, finished Kenny's thing, uh, finished the Commodore thing, and took me a trip down to the islands. And of course, someone asked me, what have you been doing? And I said, oh, nothing, just trying to commit suicide. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. Because when it, it's, it's a lot of pressure when you have just one album to do. Right. Well, one Commodore album is enough to kill you. One Kenny Rogers album is enough to kill you. And then, of course, this one song with, with Diana was enough to kill anybody because the pressure of holding a movie up was, you know, I had never done a movie before. So this is the first time I'd ever dealt with the machine of the movie business and the record business at the same time. So it was, it was quite a, an interesting lesson that I had to only learn one way by doing it first. Exactly. There's no, there's no class you can go to and say, let me, let me teach you pressure. Let me teach you how to do this. Not going to happen. It's a, exactly. It's a trial by fire uh, experience, for sure. Trial by fire. And you're either going to win or you're going to lose. And in this case, I must tell you, talking about it now seems extremely simple. Doing it that night <laughs> into the next morning was like a juggling act out of some place you've never experienced before because, you know, I had to make it all work. So I made the movie trailer in in that night of actually recording the song. And I made the, uh, exactly five days later, I completed the song mm-hmm. with, uh, with a real mix for the record. Because the record was totally different from the, from the, um, from the, from the movie trailer and it worked how about that uh, that's that's an understatement to say it worked uh, but well, well you know the, the, the trick here is in the, in the music business you know until you can, you can hype it all you want you can say you know ladies and gentlemen Diana Ross Lionel Richie you know the greatest hit record in the world blah, blah, blah. you can say it all day long and then you have to play the record Right. You, you, that's, and if you play the record, it's either going to stand on his own two feet or it's going to fall. Well, you put up or shut up, exactly. And that bad boy took off and never looked back. I'm telling you, nine weeks, I think it was nine, nine, eight or nine weeks at number one, <laughs> something like that. Some crazy nine weeks, that's, that's correct. Nine weeks at number one. And all I kept thinking was it was just massive. Mm-hmm. Massive. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Now that was, um, I mean, at the time, and I mean, a lot of these records still stand. You know, it was the biggest uh, hit on Motown until End of the Road. Um, obviously, right. as a duet, it's 
still a couple years ago we ranked the, you know the top four duets and that's still the top duet of all time you know you're passing Frank and Nancy Sinatra you're passing um, Grease the Grease soundtrack all these things is what what does that feel like you know all these years later to know that you put the you know you you two the two superstars have the biggest collaboration bigger than Paul McCartney Michael Jackson all of them what's wow. that like for you to know that well, you, my song you is know what it is I, 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 I think what makes it so gratifying is the fact that you know the difference the difference when you start out in the business all you want is a record to play on the radio you don't care how long it plays because you're not really into that mm-hmm. and then you learn something very amazing and that is the real magic is that not only did it get on the radio it never left the radio and I'm now into three generations of people in my audience now who who are talking about a song I did with Diana Ross years ago. So when, when you say I have the original, I walk out on my stage and I, I always say this, I said, we used to have two people in the audience. The first group started out with the Commodores. The second group started out with All Night Long, Endless Love, and Hello. Mm-hmm. I said, but now we have a third group in the audience. And that third group is called my mama and daddy played all your music when I was growing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the new group. In other words, endless love never died. And so what we're getting now is my mom and dad were married on your song, and I'm getting married on your song. On So it's, it's endless love was their wedding song, and endless love was the kids' wedding song. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now, and I, I think that's the test of time for me. As far as I'm concerned, that's when it really gets good. A song that survives all these generations. Yeah, exactly. All these generations, and I, and I always tell people today, I don't care where you start out in hip-hop, uh, you know, uh, punk rock, pop, R&B, it doesn't matter. Sooner or later, you got to use these three words, I love you, to somebody very corny. And I got you. <laughs> you you got you to come my way on I Love You no matter what. I mean, I'll tell you, it's on my iPod. It comes up every... You know, it comes up every... Well, it was a, well, the beauty the beauty that happens with me is that, you know, as time goes on, we keep making more of these records where, it, you know, that it became one of those things where when I first started out in the business, when I first started out, it was in the middle of funk, remember? And so they would always, the, the reviewer would always go, oh yeah, Lionel Richie with that, uh, another one of those syrupy, sappy, smaltzy kind of songs. Mm-hmm. And I could say, okay, and I kept writing, here comes Truly, here comes all the rest of these songs. And then about 15 years into this stuff, the guy came to me and said, Lionel, do you have any more of those wonderful love ballads that you always write? And I said, you mean those sticky, syrupy, smalty, <laughs> gummy records? And he said, uh, no. I said, that's what your review was back 10 years ago. And I said, oh, I said, let me guess. You got married. He said, yeah, how did you know? I said, now the songs mean something to you. <laughs> oh, wow. That, yeah. In other words, uh, uh, as long as you're single, endless love doesn't mean a thing to you. Until you go as through it yourself. As long as you're single. Mm. As long as you're single, truly, truly doesn't mean anything to you. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get married, 
everything gets serious. Love never goes out of style. See, I mean, you you can go through every massive kind of genre in the world, the biggest gangsters to the biggest politicians to the biggest lawyers to the biggest anybody, mm -hmm. and everybody in between. And when I say that, I mean country music. You know, endless love is still huge in country music, but it's based on a theme that never goes out of style. I love you. I want you forever. Yes. Forget that. You can't mess that up. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, love is eternal, and love hits people every day, every way. That's that's so. What true. you remember now, women and men, they don't want to hear, "I like you." Let's be friends. You know. Let's hang together on the weekend. No, they want to hear three corny ass words. <laughs> I love you. No matter how bad people pretend like they don't, you're right. That's it. When you say that and you mean it, that's a that's a moment. That's exactly that's a moment. That's what they want to hear, right there, homeboy. That's the that's the most important thing on the on the list. Wow. And so, for whatever reason, endless love became the theme for. You know, it not only was a, a movie, but it was also a, a, a movement that has lasted to this to this very day. Also on that that generation comment, I was thinking. Um, I mean, of course, you know, a decade or so later, uh, Luther and Mariah redid it as well. Um, I'm curious to know, uh, did you? How did you find out about that cover? Did you have any thoughts on it um, when you heard it for the first oh my, time? Oh my god! Oh my god! When they told me Luther and Mariah were going to do it, the first thing I said was, "Okay, here's the situation. We have a we have a very interesting thing." I told. I said to Luther, I said, you got to do one thing, though, Luther. Make sure of one thing. You have to Lutherize it. Don't Lionelize <laughs> it. Lutherize it. Mm. And, of course, he said, no, man, i got to sing it just like you. I said, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. I said, you have to put some Luther curls in there because that's what it's all about. No one. Luther was a master at, I call it, vocal acrobatics. I mean, he could just mm. make a one note last for about four minutes just on curling. Oh, 100%. You know, and, of course, you know, the, the the compliment was he sang it just like I sang it, but I really wanted him to get a little bit deeper and make it Luther. But it was a compliment, no matter what. Mariah and Luther doing it was just an absolute compliment. Uh, hey, you know, maybe there's a little solace. Their version went to number two. You still have the number one on lock, so maybe, you know, you can... Come on, come on. You can, you, you know, just, that. just drop that on Mariah next time you see her. <laughs> 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 I hope I will see her soon. I, I, I'm I'm loving her right now, but I just I wonder. I I I missed her when she was in Vegas. We're we're the we're Vegas mates together between Caesars and Planet Hollywood. Mm. So I'll probably see her see her this trip around just to see her show. I haven't seen her show in a while. Oh, but yeah, no, no. I they 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 are two iconic voices, Luther and Mariah, and it's just one of those things of. I got to tell you, it's fantastic. Well, I mean, of course, and you, you, I mean, not just anybody can take on, you know, I mean, Lionel and Diana obviously are, you only need the first names and everybody knows who you're talking about, so. You well, that, well, that's a compliment right there. And, and again, I was just so 
blessed to have that come along at the time that it did because it was um, it was not an easy period. Diana had just left Motown um, when Endless Love came out, so it was it was a very strange time in Motown history where she had just left Motown, and here I am doing a song on Motown, and um, but of course it was a it was a beautiful tribute to her years of being in Motown. Right, and I mean the fact that it was you know, her longest lasting number one, uh, her last number one to date. I mean, almost no better way to cement that legacy than going out on her biggest hit. Well, believe me, if I if I had to have an opportunity to stand next to somebody, that's one I would love to stand next to forever. And if we had to stand next together, that's if that's the history we made, then God bless me and her because mm. we did it. Amen to that. Um, you know, which which makes me wonder. Um, we think we were looking earlier today on online, and we said, you know, uh, obviously you two sang it at the Oscars when it was nominated uh, the next year. But um, is you, I, I don't think have you and Diana sung, sung the song together ever since. You know, you would say that, and the answer is absolutely not. We did one Oscar performance and never sang that song again together. And I've been, I, I say it as a joke when I'm on stage. I always say to the crowd, I invited Diana to join me. And she called and said she's cooking this afternoon. <laughs> or she's playing with the grandkids, or she has to go shopping. I make up some crazy stories. But, but the answer is we have not done that song together since. That's the, that's the sin of the world right there. I said, see, that seems so, so odd. That, I mean, in a way, I guess it makes it, in a sense, kind of legendary in itself that there is one live performance of the song from the two of you. But um, is, is it just... Schedules don't match up, or well, schedules. And remember now, I tour on when I'm in America, she's out of America. When I'm on a uh, in Europe, she's on a private show date. Or she went through a period when she started having her grandkids. She just didn't tour at all because she wanted to be home mm-hmm. truly with her with her, with her grandkids. So we went. We've been through schedule hell for the last. Um, it's been schedule hell for the last twenty years now. But I'm hoping before all of this, maybe this tribute in Billboard, the last thing you write down is, hey, hey, Diana, say yes to Lionel and show up. Let's go to, let's put this thing so we can see it. Because believe me, when we do do it, I'm going to film the hell out of it. You better believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only time other than the Oscars that will ever be seen. I mean, that will be, yeah, 100% a moment in itself. I, I mean, I would love to see, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm almost like speechless. That'd be incredible. Just after all this, time. I, just, I, I, I mean, the fact I that the two of you are still able to, you know, you're still performing, you're still out there. I mean, the fact that it can't even happen, you know, is yeah. Wow. Well, see, I'm just trying to catch it. I'm just trying to catch it and document it so they at least have it for somebody to be able to see it for years to come. But it's it's so funny. Just I remember that night when we did it at the Oscars. It was just a magical moment of of sheer. You know, it it was so huge that we just kind of, we were actually watching ourselves perform the song. It was, I, I remember people in the audience, and everybody was just, it was just the perfect um, show, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Only thing I was worried about was during the Oscars, they gave us, of all things, these 49 steps to walk down, <laughs> some oh. ungodly on, with no rail, no yeah, railing. That's and an 80s award thinking, show oh, for you. <laughs> Oh my God! And I said, "Please God, don't let Diana fall down those steps before she gets to the bottom of the song." <laughs> but of course, 
but we she made it down the bottom steps. The rest was magical vocal musical history. I mean, she nailed her part. She nailed her part. Yeah. Not even to think about it. That's the professionalism that she's always had. Oh uh, no, no, she neither. Listen, I wasn't gonna mess that up if they had to pick me up off the floor and let me be unconscious and sing that song. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I wasn't gonna miss that time. Just, just mouth the words for you or something. No, no, no. I was not gonna miss it. There's some. There's sometimes in your life you faint after it's done. You don't faint before it's done. Mm. <laughs> you don't fall out before it's done. Luckily, you got the Oscar a few years later. Say you say me. Um, well, say yeah. Say, but the, the funny thing about it was, I kept thinking, oh, okay, nine weeks to number one. That should be the Oscar. Not realizing that the the, the Academy Awards is much, much different from the um, Grammys uh, or from the, uh, the Grammys because, you know, you're dealing with, with record, uh, name recognition. So I was up against Carol Barron-Sager, Burt Bacharach, uh, uh, Christopher Cross, uh, Peter Allen for a song called Author's Theme, mm -hmm. not realizing that it was going to be the competition where we have to compete. But, but of course, the very next year, they, uh, and year after that, I remember going back and saying, okay, say you say me, White Knights, here we go. Got it. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> dare I? Dare I also give the 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 note that you know you know the song that knocked Endless Love from number one? No. It was Arthur's theme. Ah, yes. you're kidding. It was Christopher Cross. That was that's the one that stopped from going ten. So it's, yeah. So they so they rolled it back out again. Ah, there we go. There, there we go. <laughs> that that was the campaign. Is you know we we topped them in one place. Let's top them in another. No, but there we go. There we go. Oh. I, mean, I told Chris, I'm not mad at you. I'm not. Now that I have it, now that I got the gold, man, I'm not mad now. I'm not mad. <laughs> the year after I got mine, I said, okay, I can, I can say hello to you now, Chris. <laughs> Back in good graces. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh man. Um, well, the last the last thing I just wanted to bring up um, is that obviously you know "Endless Love" was sort of the the bookend of Diana's career, but also your first solo number one and you know the first record that wow. really brought you out. Um, did did the success of "Endless Love" really you know give you any confidence into saying you know also with the Kenny Rogers going on at the same time? Did it help you think that man I can make a make a solo stand myself and did that sort of push you in that direction? Well, you know what it was? It, it kind of was a bittersweet thing because as as wonderful as it was to have a, a number one record with Kenny Rogers and come right back and have a number one record with Diana Ross and his Love and then of course the Grammys and the Oscars and all that stuff, as much as that was wonderful, it also set up a, a really heavy tension between me and the guys. And I must tell you, that, that was a very difficult period because I wasn't thinking of going solo. This is just something I was doing extra just to bring attention to it i was not thinking solo whatsoever mm -hmm. the, the the solo bell didn't ring until all night long hello that's when the bell rang uh, but up until that moment it, it, all this was was just bringing more recognition to a guy in the commodores called lionel richie that's what it was oh, okay. but but what that did was that set up the bridge certainly for people to know now it's not just the commodores remember now my name up to in this love was called hey commodore that's why <laughs> if anybody stopped me on the street they go they didn't say hey lionel they said hey commodore <laughs> uh, i got it. right I know you, after you, in this 
after Endless Love and, and uh, Lady, I became Lionel Richie. That's, that's when the name kind of got out there. Uh, you know, not really. Many people have had a better solo start. Um, Probably oh, group please. better than, than oh. that. I mean, if you ever want, if you ever wanted to have the perfect, the perfect storm to a solo career, oh my God, man! Give me one, two, three, and then truly came behind that. Right. Uh, truly, and then from there was just you, it kept rolling, and I kept singing, oh my God! But you know, it, it was something that when Motown asked me to do my solo career. Mm -hmm. a, a solo album. They didn't say go solo. They just said do a solo record. Ah, so even okay. up to even up to truly, no one said anything about solo. It was just a solo record. But what was happening inside the group was the the tension was tough. I mean, I got to admit that. I, listen, it was a very tough period to be. You know, remember now what makes a group work is the word equal. You know, we're all there together. We're all equal and. It works when you have some guy way out in left field somewhere. You know, it it becomes very difficult to answer certain group questions. For example, I didn't start the Commodores. I did not. I was not the founder of the Commodores. But yet the question started being, Lionel, tell us when did you start the Commodores? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh oh. <laughs> People start asking you a question like that. Okay. Or oh, here's the lead singer and founder of the group. Lionel Richie, and I'm going, oh, my God, this is not going to work out well. Mm. But, you know, but but what a great launch pad. I mean, the, the career with the Commodores was absolutely so amazing. And just to think for a moment that I was, even to think that I was thinking at one point about retiring as a Commodore, never thinking about anything else. Like during that time, or did you think just eventually as a comedy? No, in other words, in, in other words, I didn't. I didn't think there was a career after the comedy. You know, as far as I was concerned, we were famous beyond famous. You know, so right. I would have been very, I would have been very happy to go. Okay, I'll retire as a comedy. Next thing I know, here comes Lady with Kenny Rogers, and Endless Love just blew the roof off the place. And then who knew that All Night Long and Hello and all this stuff was coming? So, you know, it was basically just a rocket out of out of the world after that. Now, when you say, uh, so, you, so you were going to record a solo album but not go solo, at, at what point did did everyone come to the conclusion that, yes, this will be, now, now it's going to be a break? Well, I think it probably after all night long. I think then it, it got to be a point where it was, it was a very tough move from the standpoint of the guys. I felt a little bad for the guys and I'll tell you why mm -hmm. the the reviewers were not being kind in other words can you imagine um, for let's say we got ready to review the group we played Madison Square Gardens and a guy wrote uh, um, what's a guy like Lionel Richie doing in a punk band like the Commodores wow now try to go back and go to the group rehearsal behind that review or finally Lionel Richie sat down to the piano to play his songs. Well, it's not my songs, the Commodore songs, you know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. And, and, and so it became very tough for the guys. And, and so I, as I said to them, you know, I get it. I mean, and I didn't think we were going to break up. I just thought we were going to take a break. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to just, we'll just kind of, let's just kind of break for a minute, give ourselves a little breathing room and thinking time, and then we'll get back. And just never turned back around. I think probably one of the biggest regrets of my entire career was we never had that big solo uh, farewell tour. You know what I'm saying? That big single 
one moment, you know, farewell kind of tour. Right. Where we capitalize on that completely. Do you, I mean, do you guys think that, you know, it could still happen? Well, I don't think so now. We lost Mylon Williams about four or five years ago from cancer. And I always think that, you know, when you lose one member of the group, it ain't the same. The group is, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I, I understand. You that. know, oh. yeah, I think that's, at some, it's like trying to bring the Beatles back without George Harrison and, and, uh, and John Lennon. You know, it's, yes, you can have some extra players, but the, it's not the same as the band, you know? Right. The chemistry isn't there. The memories aren't there. The exactly. It's, no, no, no. Right, yeah. right. And plus, sometimes the memories are even better than the than seeing it again forty years later, thirty years later. You sometimes you just want to kind of leave it in the thought of here I am in my platform shoes and my hair is the size <laughs> of uh, Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that might might be better kept back then. <laughs> Yeah, we, 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 might, we might want to keep it just like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, who knows what Twitter's going to you know, Twitter will have uh, memes ready to go on that one. You, you do understand, exactly. Divine, divine guidance is divine guidance, and, and believe me, it's to be able to be so, so blessed to be able to play with, of all things, first of all, I, I became a member of Motown, the Commodores, I became a member of Motown, the Commodores, you know, you discover yourself as a writer, you discover yourself as a performer, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a pretty incredible ride. And, um, you know, to be able to have this, this tribute to Endless Love, you know, a hundred years later, I'm very happy about that. Mm, fantastic. And um, I just have to ask, you know, while we're on this memory trail, um, you know, it occurs to me that obviously there was sort of a, a period after things happened, just in technology where you really couldn't, relive some of those things but now you know you've got YouTube and I'm like the Oscars performances on there and everything uh, do, do you just ever go on and sort of look at some of those old the old footage or any of those kind of things and just you know just sit back and, and remember oh, the good old days for a minute oh it's, it's not a it's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't go back and look at some of that stuff I mean it's kind of amazing to think that you look at the looks you look at the styling you look at the music you look at the era you look at all of that, and what I loved about it was it was a complete package. I mean, we, you know, it's not that we were just pretending. We actually believed that. That was a movement. That was an era, you know. And look at the people we were competing against, the Bee Gees. I mean, Marvin Gaye. It, was, it wasn't that nobody else was there but us. Right. Everybody was there. Earth, Wind, and Fire was there. Are you kidding me? You know, Everybody was there when we started. Flying the family stone. It was it was so much talent. You just wanted to smack yourself, <laughs> you know. And and the fact that we kind of cut through all of that, you know. I always tell people today. I think what made it so brilliant was the competition was so amazing. Right. Exactly. You know. Think think about. It. We just didn't, we just didn't have. We didn't beat just the Commodores because it was just an amazing band. We had to do some amazing stuff to even be recognized. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Exactly. You got to challenge and keep innovating and keep, you know, working, working. Oh, exactly. my God, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you had Ohio players, man. I mean, mm -hmm. come on. You know, then you then Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. Give me a break, man. All this was happening at the same time. This wasn't, you know, a couple of periods later. This was everybody was on the radio at the same time. Exactly. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I mean, obviously, you and you and your crew found uh, in Commodore, and everybody found found your lane, and y'all have owned it. And here we are, you still, go. you know, all these years later. I mean, like I said, I, I grew up in the 1990s, and the fact that I mean, all those groups that you just named. I mean, that's those are still. I'll admit, you know, I like music today. It's fine. It's great, but you know, you still keep that playlist of those classics back there, and there's something about that music that you just can't find the same way anymore. Well, we killed it. We, and all I'm going to say to you is the fact that it's still here, I'm blessed. Because there's no PR company you can ever get on the planet to keep your music on the radio that long without the fans actually liking the music. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. Well, we are absolutely blessed to have you. And, um, I mean, thanks so much. I mean, this has been, I mean, me as a personal fan, just. Uh, and the fact that this was this came together pretty quickly, I mean, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This is awesome. Well, you got it, man. It, Truly awesome. You got it, man. And, and, and I hope 100 years from now we can still be talking about this. I yep. love it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be some medical breakthroughs, but yeah, let's, uh, we'll plan there for it. There you go. Well, well, I won't bank on me. I'll bank on you, but I, I think I may pass on out of here before that happens. <laughs> well, but, but we'll leave this legacy behind. I'll tell you, that's wonderful. There we go. Thank you uh, so much. I mean, I, 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 of course, um, is there anything else that you want to bring up that we didn't have a chance to talk about? I mean, we had a great conversation. No, no, no. You, you, you covered it well. You're very thorough. Very oh, thorough. Fantastic. I love it. All right. Well, uh, best right, luck with you. your congratulations. Thank you, and best luck with your show uh, tomorrow. And congratulations on all the success, and especially the honorary Grammy this year. I thought that tribute was outstanding with oh, Megan and Demi and everybody. That, was that it? Well, that was amazing. That was the music cares was even over the top. And what I love about the music cares thing was we raised seven million dollars and broke every record they ever made. So was it seven all of million? My friends came out. Oh wow! Seven million dollars. Well, I mean, again, that, just, million that just shows the power of music and people and love, really. Honest, honestly, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, my, all my friends came out and supported. I'm very happy about that. Very happy. Fantastic. Well, well-deserved, and thank you again for all the great music. Okay, baby. All right. Take care now. You too. Bye, all right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.